Welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am here with Josh Jones, the new, I think relatively new, principal percussionist with the Kansas City Symphony. Uh, he has got a lot of cool stuff. I think that he's going to be able to, I was sort of researching him on Facebook just beforehand, and it's not, like there's just, I think there's going to be a lot of really awesome stuff we're going to learn about him today. Um, he is not, he reached out saying, I hope that it's okay that I'm a percussionist, which we are equal opportunity here. You know what I mean? It's not just brass players. So it's awesome to have uh, perspectives of people that are not just brass players. So I'm thankful for you and your um, uh, uh, just willingness to do this. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so uh, let's just get started with uh, sort of your journey into, I mean, it could be lengthy, but let's just kind of your journey into where you started to where you are now, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. All right. So super long story, as short as possible. <laughs> I've been playing drums since I was two. Um, basically, I just was hitting everything in sight. Um, and then my grandfather, when I was three years old, gave me a Mickey Mouse drum set. And that was the official start of the Josh Jones drums. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I was just kind of going, you know, from playing drum set in church and kind of around school. Um, and then when I was in fourth grade, um, my two teachers, my fourth grade teacher and my band teacher noticed that I was pretty, you know, I liked hitting stuff a lot and I actually wasn't bad. <laughs> so they, they kind of um, got together and heard about this percussion group called the Percussion Scholarship Group. Mm -hmm. It was run by, or is run by Patricia Dash from the Chicago Symphony and her husband, Douglas Waddell from the Lyric Opera. Um, so they gave me the application to sign up for that group and I got in. Nice. Um, and it was a legit scholarship program. Like I didn't have to pay for lessons, didn't have to pay for sticks, didn't have to pay for a drum pad, a marimba, a snare drum. Like they gave everything that I needed from fourth grade through high school to college um, and taught me orchestral percussion for free. Wow. Um, yeah, had I not had that, I don't know where I'd be right now. Um, I, I just thought drums was a drum set. Like, I guess that was my whole thought of drums. Um, it was so funny, too, The when I auditioned or interviewed for the group, I thought they were going to have a drum set. And mm. I walked in the room, and it was a small drum pad. And I was like, are we really doing this right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was the funniest thing. And... Um, they obviously they had me like hold the sticks and were like, okay, can you hold it this way? And I was like, yeah, like they're very hold this way. <laughs> um, and then they, we kind of did this call and response thing. So they play like duh, duh, duh. And I was like, really? Duh, duh, duh. And then they play like duh, 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 duh. I was like, duh, 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 duh. So they tried to like trick, trip me up and they could. <laughs> Ah. I think they still might have that VHS or the, could they record mm -hmm. just to make sure. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun group. I really owe that group like my entire life. I think that it was an amazing experience and I, I love those, those teachers so much. Um, 
yeah, so I did that group from fourth grade through high school. Um, then when I graduated high school, I went to DePaul School of Music, mm-hmm. um, studied with Eric Milstein, Michael Kazakis, Michael Green, Al Payson, and Mark Demolakis. Um, all really, really great people from all over the place. Um, and at the same time, I became the assistant director of the percussion scholarship program. So I went from student to kind of teaching the students as I was growing up to being assistant director, um, which was also awesome because I was already kind of like the big brother of the group. Um, so it was nice being like the official <laughs> brother of the group for through college. So that was great. Yeah, that's cool um, to me too, just because... I mean, anybody would hopefully do a good job in that, but I imagine the group meaning so much to you gave you like a real sense of purpose to be able to provide kind of what you felt like you got from it. Yeah, it's it, luckily the, the group is such that we're all a big family anyway. Like we, we grow up together essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice being able to, um, if I see a student having problems, I'm like, oh, I know how I fixed that when I was your age. Uh, I know what Doug's going to want you to do in like two weeks from now with that piece. So try this or, you know, it's it's just like I have an inside look at these kinds of things. Um, So I try to share as much as I can with, with everybody for the most part, but especially those kids. That's so cool. You have that opportunity to give back in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love doing that. It's like something I'm really passionate about. Sorry, I didn't mean um, to get you off track of the, the I just I just caught Oh no, no, no. I, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would just start ranting. <laughs> no, it's not um, and then let's see, college. Oh, then I um out of college when I graduated, I won the Detroit Symphony Fellowship. So I did that for two years. Um awesome program. Um at the end of that program, I got I was able to do a couple auditions. And I actually made my first finals uh, out of that program. Um, Then moved back home, then won the last year. So it was 2017. Oh, Lord, it was 2017. Um, I won the Pittsburgh Fellowship Audition, also got into Carnegie Mellon, and then also won the Calgary Philharmonic Audition. Um, Yeah, all basically in like three months of each other ish. So that was a crazy year. Um, so I was principal percussionist of the Calgary Philharmonic from 2018, basically to 2020. And now I'm in the Kansas city symphony also as principal percussionist. What are you guys doing right now for the, for the orchestra? What's your, what does your life look like in this time? Um, so Right now, we're doing a lot of chamber group concerts around town. Um, basically, it's, it's uh, designated by zip code. So wherever people are closest to, that's their designation for the group. Um, me, I'm doing mostly social media things and um, social media outreach. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. And yeah, it's, it, we're trying to stay not only relevant, but stay active and innovative with social media specifically. Um, actually this, this orchestra is really pretty good at that. Um, it's it's also very accessible and 
competent <laughs> with social <laughs> media. I see some places are just like, let's repost an old video of this. Like, right, okay. Right. But there's no like interaction from the, you know, from the musicians to the audience. So something I'm doing is because I'm new in town, I'm actually going to go to different spots that are pretty recognizable and play a little game with the audience called either where's Josh or where's Waldo. So they have to guess where I am uh, based on the video and the scenery. Uh, nice. so yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I thought it was a cool idea. So yeah, I, just... I mean, it's, it's so interesting <laughs> to think because we, I think as orchestra musicians, it becomes so easy to think of ourselves one dimensionally, right? We just perform music. That's what we do. But to remember that like we're people and we can like, provide content or provide whatever. I mean, it is content, but just we can be normal people too. We don't have to only provide musical something to have, you know, value or worth, so to speak. It sounds like you've kind of figured that out for yourself, which is really cool that you are able to represent the, the orchestra uh, in that way. Oh yeah. That's, that's so, so cool. That's what, that's is, what I'm doing. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. So what is, what's like, what is your tenure process going to be like? Because you're new. I assume you don't oh, have tenure. Yeah. How, what's the deal with that? Oh, it's just going to be delayed okay. um, a year. So, which is like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be weird. I mean, obviously you've been playing in orchestras for a little while, so it's not new to you in that regard. But to sort of start this new job, Kansas City is an awesome orchestra. They're financially, from what I understand, they've been doing well for a while now. And the hall mm -hmm. is amazing. So, but like for your first experiences to be like not playing and doing social media and things like that, it's got to be kind of weird, but uh, it's so cool. You have such a positive attitude about it. Oh yeah. Um, something I try to, I don't know. I just try to stay flexible and adapt and just accept challenges that come, even if they're really hard. Um, so yeah, it, I just accepted the fact, like, we're not going to be in the hall, so I might as well stop trying to like be pitiful about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, just make the most of the opportunity you have to connect not only with an online audience, but with the neighborhood in some capacity. Um, cause I guess I feel like orchestras in general need to do that anyway, if they want to stay relevant and stay, you know, financed because <laughs> sure, sure. If, if they're just you know focusing on the donors they have right now like that's cool but you know community mm -hmm. you know community outreach trying to get a bigger spread of audience and you know it's i think it's important and i think right now we have an opportunity to do that because people want to connect even more so now so sure so that mindset you're describing, it sounds like it's very positive. You're trying to meet these challenges and remain flexible. In my opinion, that's a conscious choice to do that. Like, it's very rare that somebody is that way and they're like, I don't know. Like, usually some sort of yeah. thing or maybe you grew up with uh, influence in your life that was that way. Where do you feel like that kind of mindset comes from? Where do you, What would you attribute it to? Um, I, I would say... I've always been a positive person, um, but in some respects, it was taught to me to be positive uh, by my parents. Um, so it, honestly, sometimes it's to my detriment because I'll uh, kind of ignore the way I feel really. Like I'll just be like, oh, I should just stay positive. But I'm feeling like I need to, you know, 
I need to cry or I need to like take a break, you know? Right. Uh, no, just stay positive. You're not tired. Like, no, <laughs> you gotta like, there, there has to be a balance, but I don't know. I, there's so much joy that I find in doing what I do that even if I'm really tired, I'll still enjoy playing tired. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. Like I, I just love doing it. Um, so I don't know. It's like find, uh, maybe it's being determined to find one thing you like about what you're doing, even if it's, you know, something really crappy. Um, like, I don't know. I love sounds. So I just, you know, enjoy the sounds that I'm making, or I love time. So I enjoy playing in time. Um, maybe it's just, I'm happy to be alive. So I'm just, you know, even if I hate what I'm doing at the moment, I'm happy that I am alive to do. <laughs> yeah. So take us, if you can think of a time, cause I, I love where this is going, but the next thing that somebody I think might feel is, well, it sounds like it's, easy for him he is that way can you think of a time where you were at a period of your life where you really had to like buckle down and say this is really difficult and i gotta remain like i but like this is the right mindset or this is the right way to handle it but it was like hard and maybe it was like a grind or there was some like you know do you know what kind of what kind of question i'm asking oh yeah um there was a period of time where so i guess my audition experience specifically i was doing really poorly. And then I was like advancing every single time. And then I was making finals. And then the next time I didn't advance and then I didn't advance again. I was just like, uh, did I just peak really early and I'm sucking now? Oh no. Um, and going to the practice room was really nerve wracking because, uh, when I moved back home, I only had about two hours, for three days out of the week to play and practice really um with like not knowing what instruments i'd have in the room that i had assigned <laughs> so i was like oh no am i going to like how am i going to do this this is really uh scary like i don't have time to practice i don't have the instruments i need I also don't have the money that I'd like to be able to go to the auditions that I want to go to, yeah, right. which means I have to start riding buses to auditions overnight. So I don't have to stay at a hotel. Like I was it's like, okay, well, do I want to do this? Like, yes, I want to play music for a living. Okay. What am I willing to do to make that happen? Am I willing to get on a Greyhound at 11 p.m., wake up at 4 a.m., stay at the Greyhound for like an hour and then go to the hall. Yeah, I'm willing to do that. Yeah. Um, it, like, you're going to be tired. <laughs> but, um, and I don't know. I've always had a sense of like, probably to some detriment, just laughing at the void in, in some way. Like, that's just kind of how I am. Um, so a little bit, yeah, that's how I am for sure. But Sometimes it's like very difficult because some of the things I have to make myself do or put myself through or get myself through are things I I think people would just go like, nah, I wouldn't be willing to do that. Just I don't know, maybe I'm just that crazy. <laughs> no, I mean, I've read I've read books about this and tried to apply it to my own life, and I think it's a fascinating conversation because we can force ourselves to do almost anything. 
if we want it badly enough, but oftentimes mm-hmm. if we don't have some sort of like really altruistic or bigger than ourselves type reason attached to it, it's just hard to do it long term. Like we can force ourselves yeah. to do almost anything short term, but to be able to live and suffer and and just grind long term, there has to be some sort of like I'm serving something bigger than myself. So is there anything like that for you that kept you, I mean, you're describing something even more extreme than the average, uh, I just like didn't win auditions, but I kept showing up and kept trying. You're saying like you even had disadvantages in the process, but you were like, it's still worth it. So what do you feel like kept moving you forward beyond, you know, you said you like sound, you like time, right? So maybe there's just some like inherent, it fills you with joy, but is there anything else that really drives that, that sort of continuing on? Um, I don't know. I just felt like, hmm, on one hand, my love of teaching, like I always wanted to have something to give back to the students. Um, because I, again, I had all these opportunities that a lot of people haven't had, and I've had a lot of experiences that a lot of people haven't had. And so if I'm able to share those experiences with others, then they don't have to go through what I went through. Um, and specifically with like, uh, well, yeah, I guess, well, obviously the musical aspect on how to play, but also like the life aspect of what happens if you go to an orchestra and people aren't nice or what happens if you go to an orchestra and someone makes a racist comment, like, like I have those experiences or people have told me their experiences that I can also pass down to other people. Um, so that was one reason is just making sure that I was like the middleman. Like I was kind of like the everyday guy who didn't really care about keeping secrets in the musical world. Um, so I always hated that whole, um, gatekeeper mindset. So I was just like, Oh, it's not that hard. You just do these things and then you'll win a job. (laughs) Like, like, Oh no, you gotta like hide the, I don't know. Some people were, I don't know. Some people are very stingy with information. I just, I just don't care. (laughs) Um, And then, I don't know. uh, My my two teachers, uh, Doug and Patsy, they were just very um, not only confident in my abilities, but just very encouraging over the years. And they were like, yeah, if you want to do this, you can totally do it. Like you have all the, you have the stuff, Like you have the drive, uh, you work hard, um, you're willing to work hard and you have us. So like, we'll get you there. So I was like, okay, well, might as well try it and see what happens. If it doesn't work out, at least I tried, you know, but I really want it to work out. Sure, sure. So like, I don't care how much I have to practice, I'll practice and make sure it works out. Um, yeah. And I, I guess, I don't know, it's just something I've always loved to do. And so I just... Every chance I get, it just, I want to have sticks in my hand, even if I'm not playing, like, I don't know. It's like a kid, like my, my nephew right now, he's, I gave him a pair of like little kid sticks and he runs around with them to the point where he sleeps with his drumstick in his hand. That's like, so cute. I'm like that. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. It's in, yeah. So you've had experiences and opportunities that were very formative for you and who you are in the career that you have now. Uh, you want to be able to, do you feel like an, 
like those experiences that they weren't given to you, right? Like you earned them, but at the same time, do you feel an obligation to sort of like then pay? It sounds like you do. I just kind of want to go down to pay it forward in that way. And like, what if you didn't have the opportunity to pay it forward? Do you feel like you'd be okay? Or is that like sort of a need of yours to be able to provide? Uh, it's, it's definitely an itch to scratch. Yeah. Um, while I could just stay in my practice room and keep working on my diddles and my triples and like, I, it, it would be nothing if I couldn't share the information that I have, especially in the way that I do it because it's so chill. Like, like, Oh, just, just wave. Like, why does it have to be any different than waving? Oh, uh, just, I don't know. Shake someone's hand. That's how you use your forearm. Like, it's so chill. Um, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people either don't have access to this type of uh, detailed work that I do, or the information that they have is very limited um, in some way or some form. And so I'm, I don't know, I'm like the only person really teaching what I teach right now in this, in this form. Um, and also this detailed. So if it's not me, it's not going to be anybody. Sure. So that's kind of how I feel. So this is, I hope this question doesn't come ac across bad, right? <laughs> but if teaching is such a passion and giving back is such a passion, why have you pursued uh, a life of performance? Um, probably for, okay, so the way I learned about the business, quote unquote, um, was that what you do, you win a job and then immediately people want to learn from you. Like it legitimizes you in some way, um, which kind of didn't do the same thing for me because I started teaching so early um, that word just kind of got out about me. So it was more like word of mouth. Josh is somebody you want to like, see at some point in your life. And as I got more uh, legitimate with either uh, you know, advancing in auditions or performing with certain groups of people, then it got more like, okay, Josh is somebody you should probably uh, listen to. Mm -hmm. And then when I started saying I was writing a book, people were like, oh, now he's a published author. <laughs> like, yeah. so I don't know. It, it was, it was more so, um, I had always wanted to win an a orchestra's position because I just love orchestral music. Um, like I, I was really into movie scores and that was something I just loved listening to all the time or paying attention to while I was watching a movie. So I just thought it'd be cool to do that for a living and not have to, you know, teach at 17 different schools to make the same amount of money. <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, if, and I thought about this too, maybe a couple years ago, if I could just teach, I would totally consider doing that, but I love performing too much. Like I just love interacting with audiences in the moment too much to just not perform. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or have some amount of performing in there. It, it's just too much fun. So there's teaching, there's performing. I did not know you wrote a book. So there's being an author, um, all right, is the book finished or are you writing the book? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, so the first book is called Spatial Studies for Hitting Things. I finished that in 2018. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love the title, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good title. <laughs> 
again, it's so chill. Like, yeah. what do we do? We hit stuff. Like, right. why does it have to be any different <laughs> um, or any more complicated? I mean, it's, the book is super dense. Like, it's it's like over 5,000 exercises in the book. I, oh. I lost count at like 6,000. So, so that's book one. Book two is almost done. Book three is finished and I already released it. Book three is all about time and rhythmic integrity, which is one of my favorite subjects. Um, but book two is all about roles, which is really hard to describe in writing. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm almost done editing it. But yeah, book oh. one is great. I've sold like 170 or 80 copies already. Um, so everybody, a lot of people have a copy now. It's like so cool. So what other things? Uh, obviously, if you're a, a sharer of information, social media is a powerful tool. What are you, besides the stuff of the symphony, right? With your own social media, with Instagram or Facebook, YouTube content and stuff like that. Is that something you try to utilize as well? Oh, yeah. Um, especially in 2018, um, I had a bunch of health issues. So I, I wanted to make sure that I had all this information available to people just in case I wasn't here anymore. Um, so I, I started recording um, live streams on Facebook, um, doing like ranting master classes. So I just started with snare drum and I was going through all the excerpts and going through like, okay, how do you prepare this one? How is this one supposed to sound? Okay, when you go to here, please make sure you do this with your hand. And then I did like three snare drum master classes. They're like, it, some are two hours long. Like yeah. I just live streamed and just spit out all the information that I had. Um, and that was the other thing I didn't really see online were percussion master classes on the excerpts. So I was like, well, I don't have time to like kind of do editing. So I'm just going to do a, an hour long master class online. Yeah. I think so the I did the rawness of that is I did something similar to that too. I like the rawness of it. Cause like you can't edit out mistakes and stuff. So you really get to see like, what does consistency look like at someone who is at that level? So you get a real picture of what is possibly expected rather than like this image we get of they're perfect because we only see the perfect nature of what a live stream is a very humbling thing. I think. Oh yeah. I, I love it. And get to interact in real time when people ask questions like, what are you doing at Metro 57? Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. Um, yes, I did snare drum, tambourine, triangle, cymbals, timpani. I didn't do bass drum. I did xylophone and glock, but I didn't do bass drum. I, I should probably do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have two questions based off of this. And then I want to come back to this health thing you were just describing because the way the way you just painted that is it's like you could have died and so i don't want to gloss over yeah that. so we'll come back to that in a second the first question i have is we talked about the one-dimensional nature of or especially orchestral musicians we're like this is why i'm on the earth this is the thing i'm going to do this is it who told you it was okay to do all of these other things with your life like you know what i mean like how did you get to a point where you were like i'm going to just do everything possible and how did you break out of this one dimensional nature that can often overtake many of us? Um, I don't know. I think it was, I didn't know I was breaking out of it because I didn't consider what I was doing a thing. 
Mm. Um, like when I started teaching, I was just like noticing people had trouble with their thumbs and I would be like, Oh, you need to relax your thumb. Like I just did that. Cause I like, you would do that for anybody. Like, Oh, your tires flat. Like, yeah, basically. Um, so teaching was kind of like, it just happened. And then my teachers noticed that I was doing that. So they were like, Hey, can you help the student roll? Cause we're having trouble figuring out how to make them roll. And then they spent five minutes with me and they're like, Oh, I can roll now. Like I was just really good at doing that. Um, so I, that was something I stumbled upon. And then when I started writing my book, um, I was just thinking, Oh, well I'm, teaching all these younger students, I wonder if I can make a pamphlet for them to work out of for their tests that they have to take. And so I started doing that. I never gave them a pamphlet because I never, I kept adding on to it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll just write some exercises. Well, they'll also need to know this. Well, then they'll also need to know this too. Well, what do I need to work on? Okay, I'll write these for myself. I ended up having like a, a book. Like when I was, I started when I was 16, like, so yeah, I didn't know I'd be publishing it. I just thought I'd write stuff for myself. <laughs> like that's awesome. Um, yeah, so it was stuff that I just stumbled upon, or I don't know. I, I see a need, and I feel like either I need to meet it, or I need to like try to meet it. It's just how I am. Yeah, and I, what I like about that is it 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 sort of was just born out of you're just like doing. You're not setting out to necessarily like change the world. You're not like I'm going to be the best this or I'm going to become an author someday. You just were like doing what you felt was right and it sort of turned into a, a thing. And I think that simplifies the process in this moment right now. We don't have to figure out what it's going to become. We just got to yep. kind of do the thing that's like you said that maybe seems like there's a need to be filled. And then we just keep going with that. And I think one thing I've struggled with in my life is just trying to figure out what something will become. What's the justification yeah. for doing this? Will it turn into this? Will I make money? Will it help people? Will it do this? And it gets my mind out of, well, what can I help somebody with today, right now, with what I know right at this moment? And that has really, mm -hmm. simple, and it just sounds like you figured that out way before I did, you know? <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I wish I had figured it out earlier because, <laughs> I mean, it's something, I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's something that's kind of taught to all of us in school. Like you learn all these things to pass a test at the end of some sort of uh, uh, regimented time frame. Mm -hmm. So like, but with life, there's no regimented time frame. Sure, so you, yeah. can't treat, you can't treat anything else like that for the most part. Um, you just have to trust the process as my, one of my old teachers told me and, and trust that at some point you will get better. And at some point you will be good enough to play whatever, like, you know, yeah. so. And then when you get it's there, kind of just accepting that. Yeah. And then when you get there, you're ready to do that thing because you're ready to do that thing. Then you also don't have to worry about possible, like imposter syndrome in that regard. Cause you're like, yep. do I deserve this opportunity? Cause I, you know, I won the audition, but I worked really hard. Can I maintain it? It's like, yeah, you're just ready to do that thing. And then you just step into that role. It might happen later than you want it to, but you're also ready to do it too. Mm -hmm. Time is, is relevant or <laughs> yeah. relative, relative. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. also relevant sometimes. <laughs> so the other question um, I had, sorry, related to that was, it just must take a ton of energy to be able to do all the things you're talking about doing. And some people are just built this way. This is like 
I think there is a, an amount of a genetic component to like, some people can just keep grinding, you know, burning the midnight oil type situation. And some people, it's a bit more of a struggle, but for, I'm this way too. And so for those of us that can burn the midnight oil, our struggle becomes how do we take care of ourselves, right? And we touched mm -hmm. on it a little bit that sometimes to your detriment, like you don't acknowledge maybe things that need to take or take a break or I'm feeling these things. So as you've learned and as you've grown, are there practices that you've put into your life to help you step away from the energy, to step away from the grind and be able to sort of restore yourself? And if so, what are some of those things that you have tried to do? Um, actually today, I'm just gonna go take a walk and take pictures after this, because I, I am a work, I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic. Like mm -hmm. if I could practice and then work on my book and then work on all these other things that I'm doing, like I would be happy and I would feel like I deserve to go to sleep, quote unquote. But like, I don't know, some, sometimes it's just not good. Like you just need to like, I need to eat <laughs> and not just the, uh, <laughs> not just like crackers or something and that a legit meal <laughs> that I cooked. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's kind of like that college mindset of like, you have to, sometimes you have to, uh, what do you call it? Pull an all nighter. Yeah. Like it's kind of like my college days followed me the rest of my adult life. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a habit that I have to get out of and I have to consciously think about, um, so yeah, I know I love taking walks and I love taking pictures. So I need to, you know, take my camera and leave my drumsticks at home <laughs> or else right. I'll just go to the park and play drums for the, for the afternoon. Um, which, you know, on some level that's super relaxing for me. Like if I just listen to music and just play along to music, that's super soothing, but it's also still technically work. Sure. So, sure. Um, I know for sure walking, getting out into nature, um, and then finding a hobby that you won't feel like you have to think about. Like, I don't have to think about taking pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important. Uh, and, and for me, it's been a big struggle to figure out what is actually relaxing versus what things sound like they should be relaxing. But actually, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things any parent will completely understand this. But when I first started doing this, I thought to myself, you know what? on my off day, first of all, I schedule an off day and then on my off day, what I should just do is hang out with my kids all morning. Well, that's one of the least, <laughs> least relaxing things I've ever done in my life. Like it just becomes stressful if they start arguing or if it's like, well, we have to do this thing or it's, it, there's just no, there's so much expectation loaded in that, that I was like, wow, this sounds like it should be relaxing, but it's not actually. That's not a failure because I learned that, but there's a lot of us who do things that we think should be relaxing, but are not actually relaxing. So it's encouraging to hear that you've sort of, at least in some sense developed, like I know this for myself, that I can actually do a walk, take some pictures, and that actually allows me to walk away from what I, you know, just the, the, the grind of it. And I think that's super important. So I'm glad to hear that you have found at least one thing like that. Yeah, I need to think of more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it has to be. I just mean that as an encouragement, I guess. I think that's so cool. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, let's talk about this accident, this, these health issues, because that has got to have provided you with a perspective, if it's as serious as it sounds, just a new, different type of person. Maybe it doesn't have to, but I'm just curious kind of what this, if there is like an interesting story or whatever, and then kind of we'll just dig into it, if you don't mind sharing. Um. 
Yeah, it. I feel like what I went through kind of proves how um, stubborn I am with a lot of things. Um, to, to, like, like I said, I, I will just work. Like, it, for some reason, working makes me feel like like I'm doing something or, you know, if, I, if I'm not doing anything, then it, I feel like I'm wasting time of some sort. Um, but yeah, um, so when I went, so when I won Calgary, um, I moved in uh, j- basically January. Um, in February, I started having like stomach pains, like really, really intense, horrible stomach pains that wasn't a stomach ache. It felt like something was like, I don't know, you put like someone's, uh, what do you call that, a kidney punch? Uh, <laughs> and someone's just like grinding their fist in your kidney. Like oh it was that God. bad. Um, luckily, Canada has free healthcare. So I was just like, oh, I'll just go to the doctor. Yeah. I haven't been to the doctor in like who knows how long. <laughs> um, and so the doctor, uh, I told them what was going on. So they were like feeling around. They were like, uh, whatever's right here is not supposed to be here. So uh, I'm going to send you over to get a CAT scan or whatever, uh, ultrasound. I'm like, okay, how much is that going to cost? No, go get an ultrasound. Because <laughs> uh, it's free, obviously. Yeah. I just didn't know. Um, right. So then the ultrasound person is like, yeah, whatever's there is not supposed to be there. I'm going to have you go get a CAT scan here. I'm like, okay, how much is that going to cost? Like, no, go get a CAT scan. <laughs> wow. Um, and so then the next day I got a cast scan. They're like, yeah, you have an extra something there that's not supposed to be there. It's like, okay. Um, so we had to we get a biopsy. It's like, okay, ha, wait, okay, I get it. I'm just going to go get the biopsy. Yeah, I got it. Now. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I don't have to worry about payment or anything. Okay, great. Um, got the biopsy. It was a seven inch, seven by three and a half, uh, tumor that was just lodged in the like a what do you call it a cavity in my uh core it was basically crushing a couple of uh organs like just pushing everything to the side um so they were like yeah we got to get this biopsy and see if it's like cancerous or if it's just benign um so it was cancerous. Luckily it wasn't spreading and it hadn't like infected any of the other organs, which was great. Um, but they did like a, I guess they could test how fast it grows over time. And apparently it would have had to grow for seven years to get that big. So I had cancer for seven years and didn't know it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. See, yeah. like, <laughs> Just kind of laugh and be like, what? <laughs> That's so, it's, it's crazy. Like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, so we did chemotherapy, we did radiation and we did a surgery all in a year. Like basically all of that happened in a year's time. Yeah. So 2018 diagnosed in February ish chemo through and also I'm working at the symphony still. Like I only took like a month off at the end to get my wisdom teeth taken out to start chemo. Like I was still working. Like my um, guess, if I, I, I have just met you today, but my guess is that was your choice, not 
Like they weren't like, oh, you can't take that much time off. You were like, I'm I'm good to go. I'm just gonna keep doing it. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> like I'll basically I, I don't care like if I can go work and play music for the rest of my life, I need to. Like wow. that's that's what I need. Yeah. Um so I don't care if I'm tired, I'm going to play triangle. Like I'll just I'll just assign myself triangle because I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so chemo, then went back to work in September. Um, chemo really wasn't doing anything other than just stopping it from growing. So mm -hmm. we had to do the surgery. So we did radiation, which, so what I had to do, go to radiation in the morning, then go to rehearsal right after. So I had somebody drive me from radiation to rehearsal. Like I was, I was doing it. <laughs> yeah, wow. And then this is the stupid thing. Um, three, three, you think that's stupid. Three days before my life changing, possibly threatening and definitely altering in some way surgery, I took an audition for the National Symphony. Jeez. Jeez. I should not have gone. Oh my God. Did you take a Greyhound overnight too? <laughs> no, I, 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 I flew, <laughs> but like nobody was going to talk me out of it. Yeah. They just knew, they just knew I needed to do it. Like wow. I'm going to, and people at the audition were like, don't you have a surgery in three days? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> Jeez. It's like, I just, I just work. And it's again, it's to my detriment. I need to take a break. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, like I'm taking a week off from teaching, like, or not a week. I'm taking like three weeks off from teaching, uh, online. Cause I just need a break. Like yeah. I'm just taking a break. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then did the surgery, uh, was off for two months. And the second month I forgot to mention, uh, when I got diagnosed, the orchestra wanted to do a percussion concerto the next season. So of course I agreed to it. This is before I knew I had to do chemo or anything. So I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it next season. So January, I had the surgery, February, uh, recovery, March, learn the concerto, April, play the concerto. So I did that. <laughs> Dude. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't um, even know what to say. Yeah. And if it's, yeah, in between all of that, that's when I, 2018 is when I released the first book and did all the live streams and put all the content out. Um, so I've, I've done a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I have another, first of all, I'm glad you're okay. You seem to be a great, great yeah. It's, look, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm very happy that you're okay. I've, I've learned a lot from that experience and I'm trying to, not have to go through another experience like that to relearn what I learned. So I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to like, <laughs> well, let's sit here for a sec. I had a different thing to say, but let's just go with what you said. So what do you feel like, what, how did your perspective change? Uh, and in what ways did they change? Um, I, well, I know for a fact that I, well, number one, I feel like with, and I think this is mainly a racial thing, um, when I was growing up, I'd always hear that, oh, people think black people don't work or that black people are lazy. 
And I was like, well, I never want to be seen as lazy. So I will work harder than everybody else. Like, so that kind of followed me throughout my life. Like it's, it's also a reason why I'm, why I play so well. Cause I just keep practicing, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but yeah. So I think this experience really taught me that I don't have to like my work doesn't, uh, or shouldn't define how my worth essentially. Like yeah. I am me just being me. I am worthy of just being me. Like I don't, if I play, if I stop playing drums, drums doesn't define me. Like I'm just a cool dude who happens yeah. to play drums. At least I think I'm a cool dude. <laughs> um, and then two is, um, I think it also taught me to really cherish the relationships that I have. And also that the relationships that I have, um, I don't have to do anything. Like people just want to be around me for me. Like I don't have to like maintain a certain thing. Um, cause I, I felt like when I was sick, I didn't want anyone to see me as being sick. I just wanted them to see me as just being me in the kind of like deer in the headlights <laughs> with, with everything going on. Um, but by doing that, I also, uh, deny another chance to get closer to anybody in that way. Um, so I learned to not do that and let people get close. Um, and also to be wary of people of who you get close to because <laughs> sure, some yeah. people take advantage, um, which I also learned the hard way. So yeah, uh, be careful who my friends, who I call my friends and who I give my friendship to. And yeah, those are the, th I think those are the three things I've learned the most from, from that experience. And also just how strong I am. Like I, I don't give myself enough credit about how, like, I don't know. Uh, I can't think of the word resilient. I am. There you go. <laughs> English. Yeah. I, sorry. I just, there's a lot of thoughts. Um, the, the one we'll go with is, Oh my gosh, I lost it. It was there. It was, Oh, I'm so sorry. It was going to be like the most beautiful thing. Oh, so do you feel like before this experience, like if you could travel back in time, you now and could talk to yourself before this, any of this happened, do you think that you would have been able to relay this information to yourself in a way that would have changed the way you saw things and to give yourself that perspective before you had to like have cancer and surgery to teach yourself or to learn that? Oh yeah. I would have, I would have said, uh, be okay being you like just just be you don't try to like because i feel like uh, again though in, in a well both in a racial sense and in a religious sense based on how i grew up um a lot of people saying you're lazy uh you'll never win a job because you're black or whatever things so you're i'm trying to like prove them wrong in a sense. So proving them wrong is defining all of my actions. And then I have like a religious thing going on, you know, how religions kind of tell you how to be as a person to earn the right to a reward. Like, mm. so you have like, and then you have society, you have all these things telling you how to be in order to get where you supposedly want to go. Um, and if, if I had known that it really doesn't 
that doesn't matter. Like just be you. Um, especially with auditions. Like, I feel like I learned it in auditions first before I learned it, how to be in my own life. Like I was just playing music the way I thought, Oh, I think this would be cool. Oh man. I think, uh, if if I play it this way, they'll like, well, not even that they'll like that. I like this. Like, I like it when it does this, I like doing this because this is fun. And people hear that in the audition. They're like, yeah, he's clearly the person we want. Um, and it happens every time when I do that. I'm just kind of like, I don't know. So I, I wish I had learned that in life first before I learned it in auditions. Because, you know, then I probably would be better with, uh, I don't know, just living life. Yeah. Um, well, and it also yeah, sounds- had I known that earlier, it would have been a lot easier to handle um, the, like, just the intense emotions that I went through and been able to like express myself better instead of just shutting off. Yeah. And it sounds like to an extent, what you described earlier, that it infiltrates your teaching where you recognize that maybe one of my wishes is that, you know, I I excelled as a trumpet player. And so I think that got put at the forefront of what people saw me as, and they were encouraging of me and they were like, you can do this. But in many ways, I was the same way. I was, my worth was in myself as a trumpet player. I felt that people liked me and I was hanging out with the cool crowd because I could play my trumpet really well. And not necessarily because I was just a person. And it's, it, it sounds stupid, but it also is like some, it's it just like, that's the state, that's the state I was in, right? So it's nobody's fault. I just think that for me now, knowing that, it's so easy for us as music educators to see our students one dimensionally, right? And not all music educators are this way, but like for me, it's so important to like recognize the the person that's behind all of it almost first so we can then direct the work itself in a healthy and a positive way and that possibly you can get to the same place, but you'll do it in sort of a healthy, I have joy in the process way, rather than I'm doing this so I can win a job and then I can feel awesome and justify the work. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah, I, especially, yeah, it's the way I teach now. It's it's so like, I I like that I have some sort of status now because I, I love just completely butchering it with the students. <laughs> like they come in, they're just like, Oh, I'm studying with Josh Jones of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm over here just like laughing and like making jokes and making like, you know, just doing a bunch of crazy stuff with them and being like, no, I mean, I want your arms to feel like spaghetti monsters and you need to feel really fat. And I need you to feel like you're farting in the in the chair as you play drum set or play timpani. Like they're just they're just like, how does he have a job with this way? Like I've never yeah. seen somebody. You know, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it just humanizes the work because that's all it is. There's actually a really great book um, called Book the Effing Job by Anthony Mindell. And that's, uh, it's an acting book. And he basically says, how do you win a job? Be yourself. That's the first, those are the first two lines. Like, I, yeah. it's a great book. It's cheap. Um, if there are any teenagers on the on the stream book the job anthony mindell <laughs> that's the, the teenage version it has a lot of you know profanity <laughs> I gotcha, I gotcha, yeah yeah i think it's 
one thing I've struggled with, and I would love your opinion on this, is I've just struggled with the confidence that like I have done the work I can trust in being myself, as opposed to I have teachers that have had success. They say, do it this way. This is how I think it should be done. And that's great. That's like a good starting point. But it took me a long time to realize that I have to eventually take ownership over the process so I can develop what even myself is. Do you have any thoughts on either how you talk about that in your teaching or how you, what your experience in your own career has been in that way? Um, I try to do this really early on. Um, start, especially with technique. I feel like if you can do it in technical work, then it's easier to do it in music. If you can do it like making technical decisions then you can do it making musical decisions. So with the drumming, especially, and I know this is true with everything for the most part, um, you want to find the most comfortable um, way of doing something for you. Everybody's body is different, so you have to find what works for your body in regards to whatever techniques you're using. And so I'm always like, okay, what feels the best? How did this feel? Did this feel good? What did it feel like? Did it feel like, can you put a character to that feel? Okay, let's change the sound. What does bright feel like to you? So now you have a feeling to a sound concept. So there's always like a physical, tactile, visceral thing you can attribute to that sound. Okay, now let's talk about music. What does sadness feel like? What happens when you get sad? You get choked up in your throat. You get choked up in your chest. What happens when you get angry? Like, you know, so you find the physical manifestation of those emotions and then those physical manifestations influence how you move. Mm. So like if, if you're playing calm, then you're going to be moving pretty like chill. If you're playing like really aggressive, you're probably, or you have anger, you're probably going to be way more aggressive in those motions. And so that affects like how you interpret music. It's like you attribute it to your own emotional state and how the music makes you feel emotionally or what kind of picture it creates and then you can put that picture into a feeling and that feeling, um, as long as you do the work of the technique, so you don't have to worry about lifting and dropping. Um, so if you, if you just move naturally, your body will conform based on how you feel. So you won't have to actually do any work. Um, mm -hmm. And my students are like, I, they're, they're playing so like, I, I don't know, especially with new students that I have, uh, I'm either changing their whole concept of drumming or like i'm just tweaking like two things and either way in like a week's time they're playing way better like yeah. they're playing way freer they're having a lot more fun um in the practice room trying to discover different sound concepts um and then they're asking themselves how do i want this to sound what would it sound like to be really cool to me um like and it's, it's, it's not even trying to take ownership. It's just, um, I don't know. It's like, like I like cookies with chocolate chips, walnuts, and I don't know, raisins, <laughs> something like that. Like I want them to have that kind of thought. Like I like drumsticks that do this. Okay. So use that it's, yeah. and taking it, taking, I guess it is taking more ownership, but, um, I don't know just experimenting, enjoying experimenting and finding what works for them and not trying to find what is correct. Okay. So then, then that's awesome. 
And I, I totally agree. I think being able to find uh, a level of joy in the practice room is so helpful to being able, because then you just feel like it's a part of expressing yourself. It's something that enriches your life. It's not as much of a struggle to sit in spaces where maybe it's not going the way you want it to go, right? And you're like, mm -hmm. cool, I'll just like experiment tomorrow and the next day and maybe I'll figure something out. So then the two problems that arise with that kind is you have to accept that you cannot put a time frame on that process, right? You can't say, well, I only have a month, but I'm going to allow myself to experiment. By putting a month on your long-term growth, you're saying, I have to figure this out as soon as possible, you know? So I would love your thoughts yeah. on that. And then the other part is to win an orchestral audition, there are there are ways that these excerpts go, right? At least the way I was taught that there's there are styles. There is a not necessarily a quote correct way, but there's definitely like a mainstream. This is what this composer is. So how do we reconcile um, individuality with trying to make sure we are going to be able to fit into an ensemble? Yeah, so I love writing this this line. Um, my my first teacher Doug, he he always said. Um, whenever he played, he tried to find the edge of the, of the box and just like bump up against it as often as possible. Mm. Um, so obviously you have parameters like, um, like the way I teach, um, there are four different stroke types. There's a full, there's a down, there's a tap and there's an up. Those are set in stone. You have to do those four. Um, but how you do those four depends on your own physicality, the sticks that you use, um, like it, it has all these variables for these very strict things. Um, so what I encourage my students to do is explore all the variables within those strict things. Um, and I usually give them uh, colors to go for, like a dark, a warm, a bright, and something like in between all those, uh, which is hard to find. <laughs> um, and once they find those colors, then they can do all those colors with fulls, downs, taps, ups. Mm -hmm. And then, then they have like their box of puzzle, uh, puzzle pieces that they can put together to insert into the music. Um, and so then the only way you can actually start experimenting is if you have something to experiment with. So having those tools of the strict fundamental stroke types with the color options and then putting those together in some form or fashion to make a phrase. Um, then obviously uh, with Xer specifically, you have phrases that have to be there, um, whether it be, or characters that have to be there, whether it be playing Mozart, you have to play light and bright for the most part. Can't go in there and be like, I wanna play dark. <laughs> like, no, yeah. it's Mozart. You, you have to play within the restrictions. That being said, sometimes, on certain instruments or in a certain hall, you can't play that bright because either there won't be enough uh, fullness to the sound that it will be too uh, thin or you know have all these different variables. So how much do you have to finagle it to make it sound correct in the environment or in the situation? And that's a, a choice that people have to make in the moment for the most part, um, which Hopefully, by the time my students work with me, they'll know how to make those decisions because yeah, <laughs> yeah. they already have all the tools to like, oh, it's it's too um, it's too wet in this hall. I need to play more articulate, which means I need more upstroke. I need to play 
with less weight. Okay. But like, um, but yeah, but, but also within, um, obviously within the excerpts, what I tried to do was, okay, here's the traditional way of playing the excerpt. This is what people expect to hear. This is the characters expected. Um, are there any things that I think are getting missed or like, or anything interesting that I don't think people would hear, uh, take shots. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. Shostakovich 10. Um, or actually, no, let's do something. Everybody knows. Oh, William Tell. So do people want to hear or or like which one's the coolest with me that's still within what people are expecting. Like I try to find what's the coolest thing. Um, like some people go um, for Bolero, people go like but I go I try to like emphasize the the five ones with my hands. So and and yeah, it's so cool because when I do it, people are like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that on a snare drum. Um so yeah, it's just trying to find the the interesting parts of the piece that aren't always noticed. And I feel like a lot of people will have different ideas. Even if we come to the same conclusions, we'll still play it different because our, you know, our bodies are different. Our experiences are different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, and like what I like about that too is you basically in some ways only have to figure it out once, right? You just have to go through that really big experimentation process until you find, yeah, this really resonates with me. And then you can always go back through the process and do it again. But if even if you never do it ever again, you know for yourself that I've gone through this process. I've gone with a fine tooth comb and I've really figured out I like this. I feel I can sell this. And like, you've done it. You know what I mean? So it's not uh, an incredibly complicated process. It just takes time to do it. And I think we are, and a lot of us, myself included for a long time, we're in such a hurry to just check the box off to say we can do it, that we would say that's going to take longer. I'll just like get through it, if that makes sense. I think um, it's faster in the long term to do what you're describing because we develop our personality faster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you don't have to like it might take you a month to figure out one solo. But within that one solo, you have like you've you figured out in these situations, I like things to go here. It's like when you see uh, one eighth and two sixteenths, duck to get up. Like I love hearing duck to get up. Or if I was a bunch of them, I like having more like forward motion with them. Some people like the like, and then they know their tendencies. So when they're sight reading something, it's not like, okay, what do I want? You have an instinctual idea of, the situations that you've seen a bunch of times. Totally. So you don't have to really think about it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just so, learned something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to shift the conversation slightly. Um, you've mentioned, um, you were talking about earlier about when you're joining a group, is there, are there going to be people that are just not nice people or, you know, you specifically, are you going to deal with race related issues um and then you have mentioned just race things you know like 
experiences you've had that have sort of framed the way you see uh, things, or at least you feel like you have been acting through those experiences sometimes. Um, I would just love to, for myself and possibly my audience to to learn and to listen. If there's just like what your experiences has been, like if, if you want to share specific examples or if you just want to talk generally and broad, I just want to be able to provide a space uh, for us to learn. Because for me, uh, what I have learned through all of this insane stuff that has been happening a lot for a long time, right? Where it just, it keeps coming to, you know, like me, I'm white. It keeps coming to my mind every time I see it in the news. But for people who are uh, people of color, you know, specifically black people, it seems like you, it's an ongoing thing, right? And so I want to make sure yeah. that at least to my, to the best of my ability that I'm providing the opportunity for myself to continually ask the questions and learn because this is my my opinion in terms of reconciliation is just listening with the intent to hear and not necessarily with listening with the intent to say, I don't agree with you because that's not my experience. Mm -hmm. So I would like to just shut up and let, and listen and, and see kind of just what you have to say. Uh, it's very open-ended. So um, yeah, just take it away with whatever you feel like you want to share. Yeah, I was actually um, talking to a I don't even want to call him a student. He's like a little brother to me. Um, he'll, if he hears this, he'll know who I'm talking about. Him. <laughs> um, and he, he asked me the same question, like, what am I getting myself into? And I was, I didn't know how to answer him because times are so, even though times are so different, they're still pretty much the same in a lot of ways. Like there's still racism. There's still implicit biases. Um, it's just that people are getting called out for them more um, and it's getting recorded. So in some regards, I don't think, I don't think anything's really going to change, especially when he starts getting into, you know, more orchestra playing and uh, eventually wins a job. I think it's going to be pretty much the same. It's just people are going to call it out more and be expected to call it out more. Um, so I'm hoping that kind of shifts things in his favor so that he doesn't have to deal with the same stuff that I had to and my parents had to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunately, I've had a lot of experiences where either implicit bias has um, colored people's opinions of my progress. Like I remember when I one uh, when I was accepted into the National Repertory Orchestra, um, there were comments all the way from Aspen that I only got in because I was black and they were just trying to meet their quota. Wow. And I was like, do y'all know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is before I was really confident in myself. I was still like, I practice really hard for that. Like, yeah. It's no, like, you know, um, and then when I got into college, um, I remember some grad students being a little off put because I came in playing grad repertoire, like I was good. <laughs> so a freshman playing Porgy and Bess and Bolero and they're like, why is this freshman playing all these excerpts? He should be like doing other things and then play excerpts in grad school. Like I was trying to change the game <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Right. Um, and obviously that could be more like ageism, but still being that young, having the experiences that I have and opportunity that I had 
and being black. Like that just puts a lot of people off. Um, and then, you know, it, it gets, unfortunately, the higher up you get, the more unfortunate events that happen, like people trying to sabotage you at work, like that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, it's not, it's not good. Um, and then the lack of support, um, not only from, I don't know, I guess, I guess in some ways colleagues, but definitely colleagues who are in a position to do something about it. That hurts, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so this is one of the reasons a lot of people now, especially in the black community are reaching out to each other and just making sure that each other is okay. Because if we're depending on, I guess, the people in power to do something about it, then we might get something or we might get something that's not actually helpful, um, something completely wrong. (laughs) Right, right. It's, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's, oh, one of these days I'll have to write a book about it. But, yeah, it's definitely having a lot of experiences where, um, people either unknowingly are biased against what you're doing and don't know that they're saying something either racist or in, or insensitive, um, people not willing to put themselves out there for you when they know something's wrong. Um, and also certain, you know, either jobs or employers who actively try to squash, um, things that are happening to you. So I don't know. I wish, I wish I had answers for my little brother. Cause all, I guess the, the best thing I could say is people need to keep their ears open. Like, like now, um, and be willing to listen and also be willing to help, not just say, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Like, what can you actually do? Maybe, maybe it's not much. Maybe it's just talking to a friend about it. Maybe it's reading a book or posting about a book that you read. Like it doesn't take a lot to, you know, a collective, not a lot is a lot. (laughs) Right. Right. So I just have two things that I'm just curious your, your opinions on one of them is there. So there's obviously the people out there who are, you know, we'll, we'll just say they're racist, right? Let's like to, for simplicity's sake. And then there's people who might do something like you said, but it's like sort of unknowing. They ha- we have, we're not aware, or maybe we just don't know. So oftentimes making that mistake in the way that it's handled is how people like learn and how we grow and stuff like that. So w- do you have encouragement for people who um, want to do, want to like do better, right? And they just maybe don't know, or is there just any encouragement you have for people that uh, are sensitive to it, but they just might not know what they don't know? Um, don't be afraid to be honest with yourself. I think that's the thing that everybody needs to be. <laughs> um, but like, and also don't feel bad for your own ignorance. Like just because you're ignorant of something doesn't mean that you are actively or intentionally bad or evil. Like if you're actively trying to be better, then that's good. Like that's a good thing. And when you find things that you want to change or things you're not proud of, then just observe that and make a better choice the next time. Um, and that goes for life in general. <laughs> I should probably take my own advice. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I'd say um, stay open, stay, uh, yeah, stay open, observe, and stay honest. That's the best thing you can do. Sure. And then kind of the final uh, aspect of this that I just really love your perspective on is even the way I pose the question, oftentimes the, the, the things that are happening in terms of race it gets posted in a negative light. It's like there are all of these injustices and things are, you know, people are being oppressed and I totally understand it, but are there any positives that you have seen from things coming to light and people becoming more aware? Are, are there positive things that you feel like are happening as a result as well? Um, I think probably two things. Number one, people aren't, people are less afraid to speak out now. Um, because this is another thing that people have to go through, especially with tenure processes, people don't want to rock the boat. They want to see like a troublemaker or anything. So if something's wrong, they probably won't say it's wrong. Um, right. And same thing with anything. Like if they don't want to lose their job, they don't want to make a scene. Um, so I feel like a lot of people are, if not eager, a lot more willing to come and speak out about these things now, which is a good thing. Um, and obviously the different changes that are happening with different employers or different companies or organizations, that's obviously a great thing. Um, and it is also a good thing to see who's not doing things when they get called out, um, especially on the Orchestra is Racist um, Instagram. I noticed that a couple organizations that do get called out either don't respond or say they will respond and just wait until the next post is posted and then they just forget about it. Right. Um, I, I will never forget when the Met, uh, the Met Opera announced that they found a noose in one of the locker rooms and we still don't know who put that noose there, even though that place is probably camera filled. Jeez. Um, yeah. So they, they were like, an investigation is happening and we never heard right. a word about it after that. Um, so I don't know. It's just putting everybody on notice, which I think is a good thing. Um, and also I think it's good too, because it's help. it's having us, um, really, uh, I don't know, I guess vet what actually is true and what actually is false. Cause I know a lot of people might would probably take this opportunity to like try to, I don't know, destroy someone's career by putting a bunch of lies out. Let's say that. And people actually do their research and, uh, vet all the information before they post anything, which is a good thing. Like there's the last thing we need is right. some false claim getting like, uh, I don't know, posted. And then they have, Oh, they didn't do their research. Now everything is in question. Like that's right. the last thing we need. Um, yeah, it's so, I mean, I, I just, I'm, I appreciate you being just real and honest. You know, I don't, it's a very complicated thing. Right. And I just, I, I would say for myself, one, if there's a positive in my life is I just have more of a desire to like reach out and ask and just like learn basically, like what don't I know, right? Like what you're talking about. I mean, you get the idea because we're all the main character of our own story that you just, we just kind of without thinking about it, probably think a lot of people's lives are a lot like our life. And so just to like, 
make the assumption that A, somebody's life might be different and B, let me go learn about it. Whether you learn about, whether it's like I'm talking to you learning about discrimination and racism, or you're just talking to somebody and you learn like some crazy fact about them, right? They suffered and maybe not some racial way, but they suffered just like communication amongst people to learn who we are, where we come from, I feel like is at least the beginning of healing like this, whether it's the actual continued solution. I feel like it's the beginning to acknowledge that, you know what, let's just like learn from each other. So I appreciate you being willing to, to talk about it. Absolutely. Like, again, if it's not me, who's it going to be? Like, (laughs) well, man, I, I really appreciate just the episode in general. I want to, if you want to take a second and um, obviously you're teaching, you're in Kansas city. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you uh, about any, anything related to the episode or they're interested in lessons or anything like that, how would people find you? Um, Either my Instagram, Josh Jones drums, just, my name, Josh Jones, with the word drums, without a Z. It's just an S-D-R-U-M-S. <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> um, and then my website is drummojo.com. So the word drum and then the word mojo, then dot com. Sure. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of information on there that's not just drum related. Uh, it's a lot what we talked about, um, just talking about your your personal self and then your physical self. And then I talk about nerdy stuff. Um, yeah. So those two things, uh, Josh Jones drums on Instagram, drummojo.com on my website. Um, I guess my book, uh, spatial studies for hitting things, you can Google it. Um, and yeah, if you look up the website, you'll find everything like my, I have like two documentaries and a bunch of other videos and it's, it's a good life. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm so happy for you. And it's just like I said, you, I, I really appreciate. I can like feel the positivity radiating all the way through the computer. You know what I mean? I, I really appreciate that. And um, I will link all that stuff in the show notes and in the blog post I make for your episode, so um, people will be able to find that pretty easy. So uh, thank you for sharing. If you need to get in touch with me for any reason, you can uh, go to that'snotspit.com or uh, at That's Not Spit on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode or anything like that, if you wouldn't mind uh, doing a rating and a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. And don't forget to share it on social media so other people can hear the episode and enjoy it for themselves. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.